Welcome to the Beer EDU podcast, the podcast for educators that love to learn and share ideas with fellow educators over beers, with your hosts, Kyle Anderson and Ben Dixon. Kyle, my friend, how are you today? Ben, I'm doing okay, but um, this is kind of a little bit of an unplanned bonus episode we got here. Yes, there is um, some, okay, some crazy shit going on. And so we thought we would drop a, a bonus episode where I actually said a bad word too. So, wow, yeah, this is well, really a special episode. <laughs> yeah, if, you, if you've never listened to the show before, we typically don't get that animated. No, so, but, and, uh, no. but uh, you know, I think it kind of warrants uh, based on what the situation is right now. But before we go any further, yeah. real quick, my name is Kyle Anderson. You can find me on Twitter at Anderson EdTech. Same thing with Instagram. My blog, AndersonEdTech.net. And then my book, To the Edge, Successes and Failures Through Risk-Taking. And then you, my friend, you are... I am Ben Dixon. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at bdixonnv. And this, like we just said, this is a, a very special episode of the Beer EDU Pod. And if this is the Beer EDU Pod, even though it's a special episode, we do have beer. So Absolutely. I, I think um, uh, I'm actually holding back. I think I need more beer than what I'm actually <laughs> drinking based on what we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Yeah. But uh, I just went with uh, tried and true, something I love yep. and I know, and that would be the Bell's Two Hearted Ale. You can never yep. go wrong with one of those. Um, just a nice American IPA, just really good, solid stuff. I've talked about this beer several times in the show, how it was the beer that basically introduced me to craft beer. So had one in the fridge. I'm like, you know what? Sounds like a good one for tonight. So uh, what do you got today, buddy? Right on. Well, it, it's funny you said that, the beer that introduced you to craft. Uh, so I, I earlier this evening, I did start with my go-to uh, Sierra Nevada, but I went with a Samuel Smith Imperial Stout. So it's a Russian Imperial from our our friends across the pond. And uh, it's, it is a solid, dark stout. I mean, 7% ABV, uh 35 IBUs. I mean, it's just a good, it's a, it's a good English stout. I mean, I, I can't say any more about it. I mean, I, I, it's, they term it a Russian Imperial, but I think it's, um, yeah, it's just got that great stout, thick kind of malty chocolatey flavor. I I've had several beers from Samuel Smith. I've had their yeah. IPA, which is different from the IPAs we know because English yes. IPAs are definitely different. Uh, they have that Imperial Stout, like you mentioned. They have a standard stout that is incredible. They've got their British Pale Ale. That's real good. I just everything I've ever had from them is really good. So I would love to eventually someday go and check that brewery out in oh, England. For so sure. I, I think that they got a really cool history, if I remember right, too. I think if I remember right, they, kind of, they talk about in the bottles where they are still using the yeah. water from the same well they sunk back in like the 1750s or something. Yeah, so that the water's original well sunk here, exactly right, 1758. Wow. Like, you know beer's good if it, like, has a paragraph. There's seriously a long paragraph on the back of this bottle. So. Yeah. So, well, and you can tell I've had a few Samuel Smith if I did that right off the <laughs> You top actually of my head know too. that. Impressive, <laughs> so, my friend. Impressive. Absolutely. So, well, Ben, you mentioned that we had a very special guest joining us yes. here today to talk about our topic today. So with everything going on in the country right now, we, we felt that it was very appropriate to talk to Will Houck a little bit about the dangers of white nationalism and yep. how it's really just infiltrated, not just like the typical old racist man that's right. in the country, whatever that, you know, that typical thing, but it's really just permeating a lot of different aspects 
of our society. So uh, let's take a moment. Let's introduce yeah. Will Halk and welcome him to the podcast. Will, how's it going, man? Hey, Will. Hey, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Absolutely. Awesome. So now you are a person that I worked with in Carson City for a while. I was I co-taught with you for a section of U.S. history a couple of years ago. And, and the reason I thought of you when it come to this topic was because this was something that was incorporated into a lot of your lessons. And then you've actually done some presentations on the dangers of white nationalism as well. But before we kind of dive into that, tell us a little bit about yourself and your story, how you were brought into education, so on and so forth. Yeah, well, um, yeah, my name is Will Houck, and I've been teaching at Carson High School for um, 16 years now. I, this is the, the only school I've ever taught at, and um, I've had a good time teaching there. So uh, got into education largely because I had a, a government teacher in high school who was um, just, just an incredible teacher and uh, really got me interested in, in all things about history, government, philosophy, and, and all that kind of stuff. And when I was in college, I was going to college for something else. And about midway through, it kind of wasn't working out. So I, I decided to switch it up and, and remembered my high school experience. And his name's uh, Michael Angero. I'm still good friends with him. He's, a, he's here in Carson City. Good, good, good guy. And um, yeah, I just I kind of reconnected with him and talked to him about teaching and stuff and um, ended up switching up my, my degree to, um, uh, to social studies. And um, yeah, did my internship and, and, and all that sort of stuff. I've, I've always been kind of um, <clears throat> interested in, in US history when it comes to uh, uh, issues of, of, of race and white nationalism. It's always been kind of um, near to my, my heart because um, I wasn't raised in, a, in a, a completely white nationalist household. Like my, my family wasn't like clan members or anything like that, but there was a pretty strong racial component to um on my, my dad's side of my family and uh, like a racist component to the the whole thing so my dad and my uncles and stuff and um and so as i've become a teacher i like i, I know the history of that and i know um just kind of just how um how destructive all that kind of stuff can be in that way of thinking and so i've always tried to incorporate um those those issues into my teaching Yeah, and I remember just in that one year I, I got to work with you just for that one class, I just remember a lot of lessons that really centered around that. It, your lessons weren't just the standard, like, this was the Civil War, it was fought over slavery, and then after the Civil War, we had Reconstruction, and there was a lot of racism, and then from that point forward, there's so many textbooks, they, they just kind of ignore racism and nationalism until the Civil Rights Movement of the 50s, 60s, and 70s, and whatnot, and and you did a really good job of incorporating that throughout. And, you know, as history teachers, we, we always preach about how history will repeat itself unless you know more about it. And I mean, we're basically seeing history repeat itself right now, like days ago and, and, and into where we are right now as we're recording this. So um, I would love to hear kind of your thoughts on like, I, I don't, not necessarily, I don't, I don't think you would necessarily be like, hey, say, I told you so, I told you so, or anything like that, but you've been kind of preaching this stuff now for a long time. Yeah. So it kind of almost is like yeah. that. Yeah. Like, like, I would like to hear like, yeah, the, what were the warning signs that clearly all of us missed? Oh God. All of them. Um, it, yeah. It's, uh, I, I, there's so many things. Um, 
you know, I, and, and yeah, I don't want to ever take that perspective. Of like, I told you so that right. kind of deal. I, I don't think that's helpful. Um, but, um, but I, I will say this, that um, I don't think that um, domestic terrorism and white nationalism have ever been taken seriously in American history. Um, after the civil war, um, there was radical reconstruction and, and those sort of things happened. And, but um, we almost instantly went back into Jim Crow and, and that was, um, you know, this, this, this brutal institution that went on for, uh, for, for many, many years. And there wasn't really any reconciliation. There wasn't any really any um, uh, true consequences for um, the, 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 the people in the South who were perpetuating the institution of slavery. And then they were allowed to um, continue on with Jim Crow and then Jim Crow, uh, continued on up until the civil rights movement. Um, and the, the civil rights movement made this weird thing happen where it's almost like, like, it's interesting because if you look at, at statistics in the 1960s, um, Dr. King's, um, uh, his approval rating, um, his, his disapproval rating, I should say, was really, really high. About two thirds of Americans um, uh, didn't like Dr. King. He had a, a negative approval rating. And the, the the weird thing is that we, at, you guys are you know both my age and we grew up sort of like Dr. King was sort of an idol like people like oh Dr. King you know he's like an American hero but in, in the time period people didn't like him at all because they thought he was going too fast they thought he was changing too much and and uh, he was exaggerating the problem all the stuff you hear about Black Lives Matter um, uh, currently um, today and um, I just I just don't think that people have to have taken this issue as seriously as they should. And especially when it comes to white nationalist um, or, or even just right wing extremism and domestic terrorism, you know, in the, in the 90s, we had Timothy McVeigh and then uh, kind of loosely connected to that was the Unabomber. And right. then you had, um, you know, all these different examples leading up to um, I, I think there's a, a direct narrative to what took place last Wednesday to the point where you had a person walking around the Capitol with a Confederate flag, which never even happened in the Civil War. You know, I mean, I, the, right. a lot of people have brought that up and that, that's a, a this this picture that has kind of been burned into people's minds. Um, and I, I don't think people see the threat of white nationalism as being the same as the threat of uh, radical um, uh, Islamic terrorism. Um, I think they, they see them as two different things. And I think that's a real problem. So, and, and I guess my like, so, I mean, there's so many questions I have. I mean, and I've read, many people have read, I believe it was, uh, I don't know if it was the FBI or Homeland Security. They had, they had said, this is a, this is one of the most dangerous threats to our country is mm -hmm. this homegrown terrorism, basically. I mean, what, so I guess my question would be like, um, how, I mean, there were those warning signs. Why, why do you think that, what is, what is this blind spot apparently that we have? Is it because they're all white people and they couldn't possibly do these things? I mean, what is it? Do you think? It, I think I, I, that I've been wondering that quite a bit over the last week. Um, I, I, I think there's a lot. I think there's, I mean, you, there's a massive racial component and racism. Right. You, you can't, you can't disconnect it. You know, I think that, right. um, it, but then that, within that term racism becomes so clouded and, and complicated because so many, um, especially white people think that, um, the, the term racism means like to be a racist, you have to be like in the Klan wearing a hood mm -hmm. or, you know, uh, like flying a Nazi flag or something like that. And uh, there, there, 
there's a lot of unwillingness, especially amongst conservatives, to really engage with the complexities of race in America and the history of race in America and talk about uh, systemic racism. And there's this misunderstanding, this misconception, the systemic racism. Um, if you say there's systemic racism in policing and people misunderstand that to think that there's um, that you're saying that all cops are racist, like like the whole system, the whole system is racist and all cops are racist. And that's not what anybody like maybe some weirdos are saying that, but I don't think the majority of people are, are trying to communicate that. I think what they're saying is that there's systemic problems built into the system and uh, they don't really understand what the word systemic means that it, it's without even trying to be racist. There's there's things that that happen uh, in that. Um, so I, I think there's a there's a, a, a huge uh, racial component, and I, I think um, I think people don't want to really be reflective um, um, and, and don't want to take ownership of, of, of what's been happening. Um, I think oftentimes people feel bad about it, but they don't really know how to change it and how to move forward. Um, I think that's an that's an aspect. Um, I think honestly. Um, no one's really not no one, but I, I don't think a, a lot, enough people are talking about the um, the right wing um, uh, media e um, sort of ecosystem that has just been thriving on misinformation for um, uh, for over a decade now, and it's gotten in intense over the last four years. The misinformation um, that's been uh, spewing around the, the whole right wing ecosystem, but um, that's a major component of it. If you were to take away that aspect of things of, of uh, talk radio and mm -hmm. um, you know the QAnon blogs and, and you know all in, in the parlors and all that kind of stuff, I think you would see that people would be a lot more. Um, uh, there, there would be more dialogue happening um and I, I think that's a, a huge part of it yeah i mean i i've never been a listener of conservative talk radio or really liberal talk radio either i you know i my, my political views tend to be very center of the road um and i'm not one that really likes controversy when it comes to that but i mean there comes a time when you just got to start standing up and i've been very vocal now for a long time about what's been going on uh with, with everything especially in the last few days but my perception of conservative talk radio 20, 25 years ago was you had people like Rush Limbaugh that they were very extreme in their views, but I don't necessarily remember just the, the outright misinformation and just the outright being comfortable with uttering racist things on the air. I mean, there was that, I believe his name was Don Imus. There, there was, he was a conservative radio commentator back in the early 2000s that ended up losing his radio show for a while for some insensitive comments or whatever but i mean just the th that whole ecosystem like you said has just evolved so much over the last few years especially in the last five years mm -hmm. uh with everything and it's just what what makes it mind-boggling and just curious to me is how not only has it evolved so much but how so many people have basically fell hook line and sinker to so much of it and just take it so literally I, I just to, to me like i i have a hard time wrapping my head around that and i was wondering if like did they always have these feelings and now they feel like oh look i'm okay to say these things that clearly what the hell is like yeah i i, I don't know either yeah 
I, yeah, I think that's a part of it. I, th I think there's also this um, economic component to it as well. And if you look mm -hmm. at um, over the last 40 years, the amount of um, uh, uh, wealth that has, has moved to the top 1% and uh, just this, this income disparity between the, the, the top and the bottom, right. I think there's a lot of, um, amongst uh, white working class people, um, I think there's a lot of grievances that are very real and very valid. Uh, and I think that they're expressing their anger in, in completely incorrect ways. And there's a, there's a long history to this too of, of xenophobia and um, just nationalism not necessarily white nationalism um, but this this anti-immigrant um, I think you know the know nothing party goes right. back before the civil war and that's that's that that was a huge component of it, the anti-immigrant component of it um, they see their jobs getting shipped overseas and uh, factories shutting down and all that and in, in our lifetime you know from the, like the, the 1970s mid 1970s to where we are today there was a there was a tremendous shift, you know. Like it used to be, like like our parents and 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 you know the, the World War II kind of generation. Like you could have one person working and they could have a normal sized house and a car and the kids could go to college and 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 like be comfortable. Like that was that that was the American dream. And and in our lifetime, that's going to be completely obliterated. Right. And I think that they focus their anger just in the complete wrong way, you know. And there's this 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 component of politicians, I think, who um, are very, um, it's sort of like, like in Harry Potter, like the Slytherin types, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they, um, and, and they see, they see this anger, the seething anger, and they're like, Ooh, we can profit off of this. You know, we can, right. we can like twist this to our, our own ends, uh, which tends to be essentially, you know, um, economic policy that tends to benefit them even right. more so. And, um, you know, it's just, it's just a bummer to see uh, white working class guys, you know, I, I just fall into this. I mean, I grew up in this, this rural town, like Carson's not super rural now, it's right. 60,000 people. But when I was a kid, it was 30,000, which isn't the tiniest town, but you know, hunting, fishing outdoors, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and um, the people I was around, you know, I, I, I love, I love all that kind of stuff. And it, it bums me out so, so much to see the guys that I grew up with and, and like my type of people who, who I like to do stuff with um, to just buy into this stuff and just, and, and just completely, it, it's just complete nonsense. And it's like, so fair. It's easy to like say like this, this is not true for this, this, and this. And it's just, there's just no, I don't know, man, it's weird. Like, well, and you're both and both as history teachers and everything I, I think there's a long history of blaming the other for for whatever situation people find themselves in and i i mean i i think back to back to hitler and world you know quickly let's figure out we're having these economic problems well we're going to blame the jews it's their it's their fault and then now we have this whole thing where we're we're going to blame the liberals or we're going to blame uh hispanics we're going to blame somebody other than ourselves so i think and it's just this has been a constant cycle and maybe this is a constant cycle of human beings i mean it seems that way sadly yeah that's a that's actual um i, I think that's a really big, big part of it too um the psychology of, of just how our, our brains where I, I teach i teach u.s history and psychology uh for for this is my fourth year now teaching psych and um there's a big component to our our um the sort of structure of our brains um that this this othering complex is, is sort of built in and it's um you know it's it's a thing that served us well when you know um tens of thousands of years ago when we were in small tribes and and the other tribe you know might be stealing our stuff or there was some sort of resource you know sort of mm -hmm. thing going on um so it, it it makes sense in that in that framework but in the modern context it doesn't it, it, it just turns into, you know, what we're seeing this, this othering complex. And it's, it's, a, it's a really hard to 
fight that impulse to put people into the other category. It's always us versus them. And, uh, and there's some healthy components of it, I think, too. I think um, sports are a good example of, of where it can be healthy. We can have rivalries where people shake hands after the game and respect each other. Um, but it has to be really taught. It has to, it's not, it's not a natural thing and you have to sort of like lead people through it. And I think that we're, we're really easily led astray down the wrong path when it comes to that kind of stuff. Your sports analogy is very similar to something that uh, I, I had an interaction with somebody the other day. Uh, I was expressing anger about what had happened last week and then trying to argue my case for being pro impeachment. And, and I'm not want, I don't want to turn this into a political debate on here by any means, but one person responded to me with, you know what, if everybody would just calm down and hug it out, everything would be better. I'm just like, and I said, no, hugging it out, giving someone a hug is like for when their team loses the Super Bowl. Okay. You don't hug it out over something like this. People need to be held accountable. And there are deep rooted problems here that need to be addressed and people need to be held accountable for those things. You know, we can hug it out later on once we start working these things out that to me, that was such a misguided comment that that person made to me. And it, it just fired me up even more that a person really was just so naive to say, to even think about saying something like that, let alone saying it. So now, so we, we've talked about how just like human psychology and how misinformation and everything has really contributed so much to this, but you know, Will, you, you've taught things before to not just students, but also to adults about how there are white nationalist groups that are out there actively trying to recruit teenagers to build their right. ranks and everything. So tell us a little bit more about like what you've learned with that and some of the resources that you have on that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, there in the, especially since the internet has gotten uh, so much bigger over the last uh, 10 years or so, um, they've, they've in a really smart way, they, I mean, by the white nationalist groups and extremist groups have, um, uh, focused their attention on, um, especially the gaming uh, community and, uh, and, and young men who are, um, who tend to be, um, um, kind of angry about the world and angry about things like that. And, um, they've been using, online forums and, and um, uh, different uh, gaming platforms uh, to recruit. They're really good at using um, uh, social media and they're really good at making memes and, um, and sort of pulling kids in uh, sort of slowly. Like the, the, the meme thing is a really big one um, where you, you just sort of um, are, are sort of like priming the pump sort of, so to speak, um, by like having like memes that have like racial connotations, but aren't fully racist. And, um, and, and they're, they're creating this whole sort of, um, narrative around, um, uh, whiteness that, that, that whiteness is under attack and you have to do something about it. That masculinity is under attack and you have to do something about it. Um, that, um, that our, our history as, as Western white people is under attack and, uh, you, you have to do something to fight back against it. That's essentially what the proud boys are. Um, they're, they're an organization that calls themselves a, a Western chauvinist organization. And that's, that's basically it right there. And so um, these uh, gaming, uh, quite a bit, they use uh, social media and the internet and whatnot. Um, as far as resources go, um, the Southern Poverty Law Center is by far the best thing I've found. It has so many different resources. If you go to their website, 
they have um, uh, a hate map, they have um, hate watch, they have a blog, they have a podcast, uh, they have a breakdown of different extremist groups throughout the United States. Um, if you hear of an extremist group, you can kind of go to their, their search option and type it in and they'll have a whole background to it. Um, they have a, a whole catalog of, of, um, of uh, extremist groups and uh, the FBI files on those groups and the, the different crimes that they've committed. When you look at how many crimes have been committed by uh, right-wing extremists over the last uh, four years, five years, 10 years, it's mind-boggling. I mean, it's hundreds. You don't hear about this on the news um, of plots to blow up things and, and um, uh, murders that you never heard about or, or assaults that take place. And, um, you know, I mean, even just down to like, uh, just on, on, on Facebook last week before the thing, or was it during, it was, it was on Wednesday. Yeah, it was on Wednesday. That's when it was, um, when, when the, the insurgency uh, happened. Um, this Hispanic former student of mine was getting gas and uh, was uh, accosted by a white guy who was cussing at her, calling her racial epithets and, and threatening her just at a gas station because she was speaking Spanish to her grandma on the phone. Um, you know, it's, it's those sorts of incidents that you don't really hear about on the news very much, but um, are, are, are happening and people feel emboldened to, to do those sorts of things. So one of the, um, the things, the resources I use in my classes is, is definitely the Southern Poverty Law Center. They've been around for um, about three decades now, going back to the 1970s. Um, and they, their, their website is just, just amazing as far as the, the catalog of things that they're, they're, they're collecting. So like if, you're, like if you're a teacher, so if I'm a teacher and I'm in, in high school and I worry about some of my kids, possibly being influenced by this? I mean, are there, are there specific things that I should look for? Or, you know, what, you know, how do I, how do I help address these things with students? Yeah, there, I mean, it's almost like, um, like the training we, we got back in the day for like gangs, like with like hats and symbols and colors and stuff like that. Um, it's very similar stuff, you know, like um, it, it, it's, it's such a tricky thing because I, I think if a kid is, is starting to get exposed to that world and they start to sort of warm up to it, mm-hmm. um, I, I almost worry about like a, a, a heavy crackdown on a kid like that right. because it almost kind of pushes them more into it. You know, like right. I have a kid in class um, uh, and, and had this, um, uh, this, this shirt that looked very sort of just aggressive to me. And I was like, I wonder what that is. And um, I looked it up. And um, there's this particular um, uh, brand of clothing and um, they have like, it's like this brand of clothing that has like ties to to, like this right wing extremism, but isn't openly in it, you know? And I think there's a lot of stuff like that that happens. Like, I think it appeals to the masculine, aggressive sort of nature. Like they'll have like figures who are like Spartan type figures, but they have like American flag and um, yeah, it's that Western chauvinist type of thing. And I think it appeals to young men who are, who are, you know, Hey, young, young dudes, you know, like football, you know, players mm-hmm. and, and wrestling and stuff like, like it's active, it's aggressive, it's, it's physical and stuff like that. And I think they try to appeal to kids like that. Um, and, and, and they're, they're sometimes a lot of these kids don't have um, healthy outlets for that, right. you know, uh, to get that, to get that activity out. Well, I think you're, you're exactly right. I mean, that, that, that's, what's so scary about this is when you're at that age and I can, even though it's a very long time ago that I can remember when I was that age, like you're looking for your tribe. You're looking for your group to belong to. My my group happened to be riding skateboards and have mohawks and jump off the stage and listen to obnoxious music. But that's that's the fear I think that a lot of us have is like, okay, this is appealing to these kids because they're using the memes, they're using the the things kids are into. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah, and 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 in that punk rock world too, there was like um, I'm assuming you're talking about punk rock, yeah, Mohawks, but um, but yeah, there was always a, a Nazi component to that oh, too, God, like yeah. you know, like the Dead Kennedy song, Nazi punks f off, you know, and yeah, um, and 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 now um, I've noticed that the, at the Capitol um, insurgency, there were a, a couple of members of of metal bands who were mm-hmm. like in the Capitol, and they're facing this massive backlash online. Um, but I have this friend, he's a big metalhead. He's been in bands for a long time. He lives in Pittsburgh and we've been chatting about it um, uh, and just texting about it. And uh, he's like, God, the, the metal world is just rife with white nationalism. It's just disturbing, yeah. you know? And I think punk rock seemed to kind of push that out. It was, it was always kind of there, but when in the nineties, there was a lot less of it than um, I think was there in the eighties. Um, but uh, the, the world of metal is just, it's, it's there. And so, yeah, it's, 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 it's this multi-headed, multifaceted thing, you know? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, as someone, I, I listen to a lot of punk, I listen to a lot of metal, and, you know, I, I listen to it because it's aggressive, because it's, it's it's a nice outlet for me, but, yeah, when you start getting into the lyrics sometimes, you start realizing, wait a minute, is that what I think it means, you know, right. and then when you have, you know, I always loved uh, Pantera, but I, I gotta say, I haven't listened to Pantera for a long time, because Phil Anselmo, without flat out saying he is a white nationalist, he has done everything to bring that attention to himself. Like, you know, doing white power salutes on stages and do just the stuff that he's done. And that that's just not something that I, I want to associate with And, you know, it's very easy to stop listening to something if that's going to be the case. But, uh, you know, as someone that listens to those kinds of music, it's, it's definitely something that's there. So, I mean, you know, Will, you made the, the perfect example of the dead Kennys because there was the, the whole skinheads in the, neo-nazis and the punk movement in the the early 80s and whatnot and then you know i'm sure there's still some out there but uh punks evolved a lot more since then so i I don't think it's probably as rife in the punk movement now but yeah the metal movement it's still definitely there uh so it's just something that uh you know it's not going to go away overnight and you know i i made i had this conversation with somebody one day that when world war ii ended and hitler was dead that didn't mean Nazism was gone. I mean, it took several years of rounding up and trying Nazi war criminals and, you know, German society till still to this day has a hard time reconciling with it because, Mm -hmm. uh, because I mean, there are still people alive that were, that were part of the Nazi party and, and participated in that, those kinds of things. And, you know, I mean, Germany has basically outlawed the use of the swastika, but I mean, overall, I mean, you can outlaw it all you want. Doesn't mean it's not going to be out there. So uh, as much as we'd like to say that white nationalism is a problem, as long as we do this, this, and this, it could be gone. It's, it's not going to happen overnight. No. And, and, you know, I mean, there's a lot of negative stuff going on. It's mostly all negative, Uh, but um, it's like, I I think I keep thinking back to this too. If you, if you take a step back and look at what America is doing as a country, it's really unique in not just the world today, but in, in, in the world's history. I mean, we're a, we're a multiracial democracy that um, is, is trying to, 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 to build on our past and atone for the things that we've done in our past. And, and there's a major component of American society that's trying to bring together all these cultures, all these languages, all these religions, all these different people from around the world and, and build this thing that no one's really done before. And when I take like the, the very long view of it, if you think, you know, the earth, like 300 years from now, 500 years from now in the future, um, 
there's so many people that, you know, this is, this is kind of like where things are going. And I almost see America as this like grand world experiment that we're, we're, we're trying this out and it's really rough because, um, because human nature is, is to, to do the othering thing and all that. Um, but I don't know. So sometimes I, I get really frustrated and, and I try and give myself a little break and, and a little relief and, and remind myself of that, like, like, man, this isn't happening like in Europe. You have Muslims come in and all of a sudden they start like banning Muslim stuff. Like, you know, they, like the Europeans tend to have this, like, we tend to have this idea that like Europeans are more advanced than us or smarter than us or something, but like, they're racist too, you know? And, and, and the, the, the effects of world war two haven't fully gone away. Arnold Schwarzenegger just did a video um, where he talks about his uh, his dad in Austria was an alcoholic and was abusive to his to his family um, because that whole generation of men felt awful about the Holocaust. They felt terrible about how they let themselves slip into Nazism and fascism, and and they they, they bought into it. And even though they didn't go like kill Jews in a gas chamber, there was this like this this thing that they had to deal with. You know, they were um, complicit. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you, those guys in like the 1960s, it's like way past World War II, but they still right. feel incredibly guilty about it, you know? And so, yeah, I think sometimes you got to take the long view too and go like, well, we're doing a, a hard thing here and, and we should give ourselves a little bit of credit, you know? Well, yeah. And Will, I'm glad you brought that up because that, that would be, that was kind of where my next question was going to be is like, where do you see us going from here? Because clearly you have Black Lives Matter. We're fine. We're addressing systematic racism that, that, many people have been experiencing and I mean and I, I remember having this conversation with a friend of mine like I have a son who's in his 20s he has a son in his 20s his son's black my son's white my son's never go like I don't have to have a conversation with my kid about this is what you do when the cops pull you over this is what you do mm-hmm. like that is a world that I can't even fathom like that just that thought is like that's not ever something I have to do so I mean, I think, I think you're right. I think that finally now we're addressing these things and it's almost like that whole idea of like, you turn on the lights, now you can see all the cockroaches. So let's figure out how we're going to get rid of them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, There's a lot of cockroaches too. Yeah. And and that's why I think education is, is, is just like that. That's what gives me hope too, is that like being in this world, this is what we're doing. This is, this is how we fix it, you know? Um, And so resources like Southern Poverty Law Center, the 1619 Project is another uh, fantastic, the podcast, you know, and um, there's been so many people, Nicole Nicole Hannah-Jones from the New York Times, Tana Hesse Coates, who's another author. I've been doing a lot of work in this thing called um, redlining and um, how American cities were, 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 were built in the 1960s. 60s and um, that sort of stuff exposing kids to to um, to to talk to them about white flight and red and and the zoning and the redlining and uh, all those sorts of things helps them to understand you know I my so I grew up here but then my family was from Sacramento Del Paso Heights um, Sacramento which is in the North Highlands kind of area and um, when I was I was was born in 78 and um, at that point, that that whole area was experiencing this 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 massive white flight um, it, in the in the post World War II area. It was a um, I'm trying to remember the Air Force Base, McClellan McClellan Air Force Base. Um, that's where my grandpa worked, and um, and so they lived in that area. And it was like this um, 
uh, just white suburban Levittown sort of uh, existence. But by the, the late 1960s and into the 70s, um, uh, all this stuff had, had started to change and then there was white flight. And so when I was a kid and I'd go back and visit my uncles and my grandma and all that kind of stuff, it was um, uh, the white people were a minority in that area and uh, people of color had started to move in. And uh, now if you look at like um, the Sacramento School District, Grant High School is, is kind of one of the most notorious high schools in Sacramento. Like what people think of as hug high you know, in, 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 in Reno, um, Grant High School is like that in Sacramento. That's where my dad graduated from high school. And so it's this perfect example of this, this microcosm of this, this story of, um, of post-World War II, everything is great, everyone's got a job and house, and blah, blah, blah. And then by the 1970s, the economy is, is, is shifting and changing and jobs are moving and, and, and white people start moving out and people of color start moving in. And then you start to see this, like, this increase in racial tension between uh, the white working class and, and people of color, the working class um, of immigrants and black people and stuff like that. And um, it, it's this really complex thing. And uh, I think for, for our students to understand the complexities, we have to start talking to and exposing them to things uh, like what the work that Tana Hesikos is doing and Nicole Hannah Jones and, and um, you know, like the documentary 13th on, on Netflix incredible incredible you know um and talking about um uh, policing in prisons and all right. that kind of stuff there's no other way there's no way it's not going to go away we're not going to like pass laws and make it go away um we're not just going to like major wave a magic wand uh we have to just get in there and do the hard work and talk to people and um and you know that's what education is all about what well, and i applaud you because i mean that's I'm thinking about in my own district where where my where our superintendent made a very courageous uh, statement after the events on Wednesday, just not taking sides, but just saying, hey, these are resources because this is something that's going to affect kids. Kids are going to hear about it. And she put herself out there. Um, she got a lot of backlash for it, um, in, in my opinion, unfounded. And, and she should have done that. And I applaud her for that. And I, I think about you as a teacher. Do you do you ever get that backlash from from parents or people when they're like, we don't want you talking to our kids about this? Yeah, yeah. Um, I had an incident a year ago where um, I had a kid. It was right around the time I, I did the, the thing that Kyle was talking about and, and talking mm -hmm. to other uh, teachers and whatnot. And um, um, I've been paying attention to this stuff for a while. So um, I, I had this kid who was just I started noticing it when I, when we started doing the 1619 podcast, I just started noticing this, these vibes from him. And, um, and I started noticing um, on, on the work that he would turn in very like um, aggressive things like swastikas and knives and stuff like that. And it kept escalating. And so I went and talked to a Dean and a counselor and talked about the volatility of the situation. Um, and um, it, it was very back and forth for a while. And then uh, eventually it escalated to the situation where um, the, the, the father um, came to the school to assault me and the school had to go on mm. lockdown. Wow. And um, it was really scary. Um, it was the first time since I've been there that we've been on a full lockdown like that. Um, he left the school, the police um, kind of knew where he was. Um, and then um, it was this really like complicated thing where they didn't want to like, um, you know, like go into the house and have some sort of shootout or something like it was like right. th that level stuff, you wow. know? So, um, yeah. And then that, yeah, that was, that was nuts. So I got mad respect for you, man. Cause you're yeah. still doing it too. And you're still, you're still talking about it. Well, and this, clearly this, whole, this makes people uncomfortable. It, it does. It does. And it, it, you have to keep going. Um, the, 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 the thing make it even worse was that, um, um, he, um, uh, randomly lived in my neighborhood just like by Jeez. chance. 
And um, my, my wife was texting me about, uh, she's like, there's these cops are like in our neighborhood. Like what? And I'm like, we're on lockdown. And she's like, I'm like, and we start putting the piece together. And then I talked to the uh, principal. And so for, but he didn't know where I lived. So okay. for about, and, he, and he, this, the situation was, he was about to like move to out to Dayton. Um, and, and, and so the situation was going to be like gone soon. It was around Christmas right. time. And um, so, um, but for about a week and a half, I, I, I lived like with this person, like, like a block wow. away, like super close. And I like, I had like shotgun ready to go. I mean, I was like, wow. You know, I went and got some buckshot, you know, like, I mean, and it was just trying to be like, just, just be chill. Don't say, just be quiet. Like, I don't think he knows we're here. Um, and then, you know, it just, oh, it all ended peacefully, but like, yeah, it's real, man. It's like, but you know, I, I think about it and I'm like, you know, like when I read Todd Hesse Coates between the world and me, I was depressed for like two weeks. Like he was, he's, he's my age, he's born the same year and his existence has been so much more violence, so much more death, so much more fear, so much more um, uh, profiling, so much more, all of these things. And, and, you know, we grew up in literally the same time period, you know? And so I, you know, an incident like that happens wow. and it's, it's not great. It's scary for sure. You know, but, um, but, you know, like, I, I don't know what it's like, like you were saying with your buddy's kid, like, I don't know what it's like to be black in America. Yeah. I don't know what it's like to grow up in like South Central and be black or Hispanic and wherever, you know, like, so I just try to have some perspective like that. Good. Well, Will, outside of your passion for this topic and just really sharing the wealth of knowledge that you have with not just your students, but also adults to really do your part to try to reduce this the best that we can. You're, you've also got your fingers in some other pies as well. You're a podcaster, uh, you brew beer, you know, so um, to close this kind of out on a lighter note, let's talk a little bit about uh, your podcast and your, uh, your yeah. beer brewing and whatnot. Absolutely. Yeah. So I host a, a radio show, weekly radio show for 95.1 here in Carson City. Uh, it's a rather new radio station. We're going into our third year uh, this year in March. Um, and I've, I've been in, um, hosting the show the, the whole time. Um, and it's also a podcast. I, I interview musicians uh, for my show. And um, it, the, the show is called Roots, Rednecks and Radicals. And um, they, that's the same name as the podcast and social media and all that kind of stuff. And it is, uh, I'm trying to come up with a good genre name, Americana. It's probably the best um, uh, word for it. Um, Americana roots and folk music is kind of how I generally describe it. But um, there's just this whole like really cool scene happening in, um, in, in Nashville and throughout the country too, but in East Nashville, it's, it's really big. And there's a lot of artists like Jason Isbell and Sturgill Simpson and Brandy Carlisle and Amanda Shires um, who are making this this music that um, is, is a very... It's country-ish, um, but I think that's why they use Americana because it has a rootsy, right. Ameri you know, kind of deal. Um, but there's just so much cool stuff. And so I play a lot of, there's there's bluegrass, I play some um, country western, um, you know, it's, it's all these different components of, of Americana. And the best part is when there was concerts happening, uh, when I would interview the, the people, I get to go to shows for free. So that's why I, I kind of, I started interviewing them because I, I wanted to go see my <laughs> people for free, but, um, but it's morphed into this thing. And, and um, I've interviewed so many people. It's been so fun. Like, like um, uh, Frank Turner was on my show uh, last week and um, he's a big hero of mine. Um, and Amanda Shires um, interviewed her. She's going to be on my show uh, next week. And um, it's just been it, even some like older guys, like I, I interviewed the the drummer from Credence Clearwater uh, Revival. Cool. He lives in Reno, um, which is a weird deal. <laughs> Stuff like that, you know. <laughs> um, 
so yeah so that's the that's the the radio show i've been doing in the podcast as well oh i that i'm super excited because i've totally been i've been listening to like a lot of americana like um this i got into this band called birds of play and okay. um they're like three guys i got into them because they mountain bike but they also have a band that is <laughs> that is pretty much a folk americana band and then i then i went down a whole rabbit hole which goes along with all the metal i was listening to i don't know <laughs> what that means yeah and i i was um i went down a rabbit hole listening to a lot of molly tuttle a while back oh, because yeah. molly yeah, tuttle was on a podcast and i'd never heard of her but apparently she's a award-winning bluegrass picker and yeah, then dude. what what got me going on her was that she did a bluegrass version of olympia washington by rancid and it is incredible wow. it is absolutely incredible so then I went down this hole where I went for about a week. I listened to nothing but Molly Tuttle and like everything she does is so incredible. And then one day I saw your set list for your show and then you actually had Molly Tuttle on there. I'm like, I know her. Cool. So, because so much, you and I used to talk a lot of music, but man, you are above and beyond anything, especially with a lot of the folk type music. So I was actually quite proud of myself when I saw your set list that day. And hey, I know Molly Tuttle. No, so that, that was a good that was a good one there. But um, she's incredible. And then he's doing beer. So now, now, like, like this is where we always go. How have you not been on the show? Like, right. you should <laughs> brew your own beer, dude. So <laughs> tell us about right. that. Yeah, I've been brewing. I'm trying to remember how long. I think it's been about seven years now. Um, and I'm the, the the president of the 395 Brew Club here in Carson City, and. Um, we haven't been meeting since March, uh, you know, and it was funny. I took over last February and then we shut down in March. So I'm like the <laughs> president, you know, like I don't, I haven't done anything yet, but, um, but basically it's, it's just like sending out emails or Facebook events, you know, to, for everyone to meet. Uh, but yeah, I've been home brewing. I started off doing extract um, uh, brewing and, and then uh, moved into all grain and uh, I, you know, submit beers to competitions just for the, the fun of it. I think it's, it's cool to get some feedback from people. And um, I really like our, our brew club meetings because everyone brings a ton of beer i mean it's insane kyle's been to our, our christmas and i was yeah. i was that was a big night um but uh just it's just fun to get feedback on stuff and to try different things and um i don't know i love i love geeking out on on hops and yeast and grain and and, and coming up with recipes and trying them and failing and tweaking them and making them better and i love it cool. Yeah, I think that uh, Ben. I think we can uh, agree that we like uh, geeking out on those things a little bit too. We so, do too. Yeah. Not necessarily. That's I don't. I, and I'm not in on the recipe stuff yet. I, I yeah. want to get into home brewing, but now I've got two kids that uh, I got a daughter that's in dance several nights a week, and I got a son that's learning to skate, so he can start playing hockey soon. So it's going to end cool. up having to be a weekend thing at some point. But um, Will, I'm definitely going to be hitting you up for some tips on getting that stuff going, uh, and then Absolutely. I'm hoping that once things calm down, that I can start judging the competitions for snafu, which is the Southern Nevada ale fermenters union home nice. club. And then maybe there could be some like uh, cross state rivalry competition at some point between 395 and snafu or something at some point. Yeah. I'd love to do a North South thing sometime. I don't know how we'd set that up, but I think that'd be, I think the guys up here would love to do something like that. So, well, we can all storm area 51, just bring all the brew stuff and do it there. Right. Yeah. No, we're just all <laughs> going to meet in Tonopah. There it is. So yeah, there's that brewery there. That kind of work actually. Yeah. It's at the clown motel. So, yeah. <laughs> well, tell you what, I'll sleep in a tent about a mile away from there. You guys can stay at the clown motel. I'm good. <laughs> so, but uh, I will, I'll stay at the Mizpah. That place I've always wanted to stay at the Mizpah. That place always looks. Uh, really it's cool, haunted so. too, dude. You yeah. Know it's that? rad. Yeah, it is so cool. I, I'm I'm down with ghosts, clowns. No, no, thank you. Good. So, 
Hey, but, native Nevada, man. We've I've been to all those crazy places. So. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So, Will, um, you mentioned yes. uh, t- like social media for the podcast. Is there social media that you use that you would like to share to connect with people? Or um, if you don't, that's okay as well? Yeah. So on Facebook, it's Roots Rednecks and Radicals. And then on um, uh, Instagram, it's Roots.Rednecks.Radicals. And then... <clears throat> If you want to um, uh, look at the, the podcast, there's um, it's it's anywhere. Um, it's on uh, Spotify and, and Apple, and you know, it's published everywhere. But then there's also a website, um, uh, rootsrednecksandradicals.podbean.com. Uh, that's the, the host for the podcast. So, um, yeah, that's that's where people can go. And then uh, the radio website, um, you can find my show, the weekly show on knbc.org. And um, our, my show, it's, it's, it's streamable for two weeks. There's like RIAA rules about um, uh, putting out music on uh, on podcast because you can download it um so oh. we can we can stream online for for two weeks um and uh but then it has to get taken down so that's where you can hear the show interesting so oh, cool well, well thanks for uh kind of short notice making some time to join yeah. us and and talk about this stuff and uh you know like i said as working with you in the past um i'm not there with you anymore so i i don't get to talk to you enough so this was actually a nice way to kind of catch up with you a little bit yeah yeah it's been fun enjoying a beer with you guys yeah, for sure. It's so. awesome to have you on. And like, I'm super excited about like the work you're doing. I, I applaud you. I mean, like I said, that's, you're, you're doing, you're doing hard work and, and, and getting the message out there and, and helping kids and helping people. And, and then I'm super excited about your podcast. So like, I totally am sidetracked now. Cause I, I started looking at the podcast. I'm like, Oh man, I'll get to listen to this. So yeah. right ben, on, Ben shiny red balls Thanks, quite man. a bit on this show. That's not yeah. ADHD right here. <laughs> so Well, listeners, please keep this very important conversation going. Share some of your thoughts on today's topics by emailing us at info at beeredupodcast.com. Tweet us at beeredupod, hashtag beeredupod. Hit us up on Facebook, beeredupodcast. That's all one word. Follow us on Instagram at beeredupod. YouTube channel bit.ly slash beeredu YouTube. Um, We'll have the the handles for Will's shows there in the show notes here as well. So you can connect with him voice message on the anchor app leave us a review wherever you're listening because that way more people can find the show and ben if they want to be a guest on the show what do yeah. they got to do yeah go to beardupodcast.com you click on that contact and subscription info link um, complete out a guest uh guest form and uh yeah you'll be in the queue and we'll get you on the show talk about your passion and you know and just just keep sharing what you're doing and sharing all the good news about education and thank you to School Rubric for featuring yes. the Beer Edu podcast. The mission of School Rubric is to help schools, educators, parents, and students help tell their stories so that stakeholders can make the best choice about enrollment and staffing. Learn more at www.schoolrubric.com and find more great content from educators from around the world. All right. Hey, Will, thanks again for being on the show. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And listeners, we appreciate you as always for this special bonus episode. Yes. Episode 94 will be dropping next. And until next time, may the malts and the hops be with you. Right on. Right on.